Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. How are we today? We good? We're good. Hey, you guys look great. You sound great. Uh, I, I appreciate your worship today. It blessed me. I could hear you fill in the room with worship. And uh, what we say around here pretty regularly is even when the room is full or half full or semi-full or if there's 12 people in the room or 112 people, God's waiting on you to worship. And so thank you for your worship today. You bless me uh, so, so much. And I'm excited that you're here today on this first Sunday of October, first day of October. Is that crazy to anybody else? Uh, it's like time's, time flies when you're having fun. We've been having more fun than I realized because it's flying by. It's 12 weeks to Christmas. You're welcome for reminding you of that. And uh, if you are uh, needing to know what I want, I've already made my list. So if you'll come ask me, I'll tell you in the lobby afterwards. But uh, I'm thankful that you're here today. And there's so many great things that are happening this weekend. Our middle schoolers and high schoolers will be leaving in just a few minutes from their fall retreat to come and to be back home. They've had a blast this week. They have paintballed and whitewater rafted and had a, a lot of fun. They've also had worship services Friday night and Saturday. They're concluding this morning And so we want to continue to be in prayer for them that the weekend will end well, and then they're traveling safety on the way home, Uh, but they're having a big time. And so I'm thankful for Pastor Carson and our youth leaders that invest in them and uh, just a great time they're having. And then you heard it already. I'm not going to repeat myself because I was the one that said it. Uh, I didn't know I would follow myself. Like I was my own opening act. But um, next week is at the movies. Say at the movies. Listen, this is like one of our favorite things to do all year long. For three straight weeks, beginning next Sunday, we're going to uh, use the example of what Jesus did telling stories. He he called them parables. We call them movies. And we're going to just point to larger kingdom truths. And so I'm not going to tell you what the movies are until you get here on those Sundays. But the next three weeks are going to be awesome. We're going to have fun. uh, And we're going to believe for life change. So I want you to come, but I don't want you to come by yourself. I want you to bring someone with you. For at the movies, it's going to be a really, really special time those three weeks. And then where are my grandparents at? If you're a grandparent, let me hear a woohoo. Woo! All right, now listen. So Grandparent Summit is coming up at the end or near the end of this month, October 20th and 21st. And we want you to be there. We want you to come and to be a part of this. It's here at the church. You can register for that on Friday and on Saturday. It's a simulcast event. There'll be thousands and thousands of grandparents around the country at different simulcast sites of which we're one, and we want you to be here for that, to just learn how to just like build a life of legacy, leave a legacy to your children and your grandchildren, to encourage you if that's not the kind of life you're living or your children are living, uh, but also to strengthen what you're already trying to do and you desire to do in your heart. So we want you to be here. And sometimes I have to ask our younger uh, participants for events to register because they wait till the last minute. But like, listen, you usually get up first, you eat dinner first, like just register early. Just help us with that. So go and register for our grandparents summit. It's going to be awesome. And then also where are my ladies at? Let me hear from the ladies. All right. So Woven is coming up November the 10th. Uh, We're just a little under two months away. This is a really big event for us every single year. Uh, Corey, my wife Corey, and, and, and a team of people helped to pull off a really great event, a night of fun. I've heard rumors of chocolate fountains and things. Uh, we're going to have Delyn Rizzo here that night to speak, and she's going to encourage you. You're going to laugh. Uh, it, it's going to be a lot of fun, but they're gonna, you're going to have a night of inspiration with other ladies from our church and community, so you can go register for that as well. And then just the last thing I want you to do is I want you to join me this coming Saturday for First Saturday Prayer, right here in the room, 8 a.m. to 9 o'clock. Uh, We'll be together. We're going to pray over the needs of our church, pray for the needs of those that are in the room. 
uh, on Saturday. So come and be with us. We'd love to have you here for First Saturday Prayer. Today is Vision Sunday. Now, we do this every fall, and we do it for a lot of different reasons, but primarily we do it because it's important to know where we're headed. You know, I, I don't know how often you fly, how often you travel, uh, but I've never gotten onto an airplane and just not know where we were headed. Like, I don't, I don't just randomly get onto airplanes, but like, I know there's a ticket, there's a, a some, an app on my phone that tells me, you bought a ticket to go to this specific destination, and then once you sit down in your seat, the pilot comes on to remind you of this is where we're headed. Hey, welcome to flight such and such, headed to Des Moines, headed to LA, headed to Guatemala. Like you, wherever you're headed, he just reminds you so that if by chance, somehow you circumvented security and got onto a plane you weren't anticipating, you go, hey, that's not where I want to go. And, I, and you get off the plane and then you run down the terminal trying to find your gate to get on the flight that you're supposed to. It's important to know where we're headed. And so today is that day every fall where we just take some time to make sure we're all on the same page about where God is leading us as a church. And this is not just for our church. We want you to have a vision for your life as well. And I believe today kind of checks both of those boxes for us to recognize that we're all headed somewhere. And intention doesn't necessarily determine your destination. Like, it doesn't matter how much you want to go somewhere. Like, I want to be, you know, in some type of tropical island right now. Intention doesn't do that. You've got to actually have some direction and some motivation, and you've got to put some things into action to make sure that you end up where you want to end up. And so that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. This is what it says in Habakkuk chapter 2, Old Testament prophet. My, My Old Testament professor in college used to call it Habakkuk. I like Habakkuk, so we're going to stick with Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2. It says this, write the vision and make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. Write the vision and make it plain so he can run who reads it. How how many of you, when you are going somewhere, you know, like you've already been this way before, you know that destination, you've traveled this way before, like you don't even have to look at directions. You just know all the turns. You can turn right, turn left, go straight. Like you're not slowing down for anything. Like you just kind of know where you're headed. Well, the same is true for me. Like I, I, when I'm driving to my house from the church, like I don't have to plug it into the maps. Like I can go, I know how to get there. But last night, Corey and I were driving to a place that I'd never been before. So we put the directions in and maybe you have this, I don't know, I'm, I'm definitely guilty of this. Like when it tells me that in 700 feet turn right, I can't always measure how far 700 feet is while driving 60 miles an hour. So I missed it yesterday. I actually turned too early and it was like, nope, turn a U-turn, keep going. Because I turned about 450 feet, I didn't know. So I, I, was, I was having to slow down and take a detour because I didn't know where I was headed. But when the vision is plain, when the destination is clear, when we already know where we're headed it's easier for us to move more quickly in the direction that we're trying to go. And that's what we're talking about a little bit today. Proverbs 29 and 18 says it this way, where there is no vision, the people perish or they cast off restraints. But happy is he who keeps the teaching. Where there is no vision, the people perish or they cast off restraints. Meaning if you don't have a clear picture of where you're headed, you will just do whatever feels right in the moment. You, but you live very reactively. In the Old Testament, they said that the people did whatever was right in their own eyes. And sometimes we're guilty of that because we don't have a clear destination in mind, because we don't have a clear direction of what God is leading us to. We just react moment by moment, day by day, decision by decision. And we do just kind of what seems right in the moment 
But that's not what vision is about. Vision is saying, I have a crystal clear picture of where my life is supposed to end up, what my family's supposed to be about, the church that I'm a part of, the business that I'm a part of. This is the direction that we're headed. And so I can run with pace. I can lead my life with confidence. And so for us as a church, I want to make sure today that when you walk out of here, you've got a sense of who we are as a church and what we're about. Our why like what drives us, like the innermost core value that we have that drives us as a church is that we exist. Why? Because generations matter. Now, not generations church. We're called generations because we believe in this truth, that generations of faith, generations of family, they matter to God, and so they matter to us. And if that is true, then it's what compels us It's what drives us. It's what keeps me awake some nights, thinking about the generations of my family and the generations of your family and the generations of families in our community because generations matter to God. I preached on this a few weeks ago. And so that's our why. That's what drives us. And if we all buy into that, if we believe that like deep, deep, deep down in our knower, right, then we live like it matters. It actually changes the way that we live. It changes the way that we conduct kind of our Monday and our Tuesday and our Thursday and our Saturday and our Sunday. We live with great intention because we believe that what we're doing matters for eternity and not just for us, but for those around us. And so if that's true, if if those things are true, and and I'm just kind of like Patrick Lencioni would call those like permission to play values. Like that's just a part of what we believe. And if you're a part of this church, then we believe that generations matter. And so we live like it matters because we believe that it does. It's just kind of this is who we are and this is how we run. But we don't want you just to live to avoid hell or to kind of endure through life. We want you to live a life that honors God and that is fulfilling to you, that is enriching to you. Because in John chapter 10, verses 7 through 10, it says this. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep do not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it to the full. Everybody say have it to the full. Listen, I believe that God desires for you to live a life on purpose with great intention, but with this sense of fulfillment, this sense of joy, this sense of passion. I'm crazy enough to believe that the life that God desires for you is better than anything you can find anywhere else. I mean, I just just believe, I'm just crazy enough to believe that you don't have to go looking anywhere else to find the kind of life that gives you a sense of satisfaction and fulfillment because what God desires for you is better than anything you can find anywhere else. And so we live like that's true. We live in such a way to believe that that is the truest thing that we can build our lives upon. Jesus said, if you will come to me, I'm gonna give you life and I'm going to give you life to the full. The enemy is going to try to trick you and believe that these moments of satisfaction, these moments that kind of fill your belly, these moments that make you think that life is fulfilling, they are fleeting and they will pass away and they will eventually steal something from you you did not want to give up. They will kill you and they will destroy your life. But my life, the life that I give to you is life. It's life abundantly and it is life to the full. 
And so if that's the case, then we just run. We run with passion, we run with confidence, and we believe that if we're going to live like it matters because generations matter, that it affects the way we interact with one another, it affects the way we talk to our spouse, it affects the way we parent our kids and love our grandkids, it, it, it matters how we handle our money, it matters how we conduct ourselves on our jobs, it matters the way we interact with our neighbors, it all matters. And so this past year, you have been living as a part of this church community like it mattered. And together, we have seen God do amazing things among us. Last week was Mission Sunday, and we talked about so many incredible things that God has done in and through your faithfulness and God's goodness to us. I'm not going to repeat all of those things. Go back and watch it online on Facebook or on YouTube. But just to recap our kind of our missions efforts, we said that we want to meet needs in Jesus' name in our community and on every continent. And we don't know what's happening on Antarctica, but we Google it a lot. Like ministries in Antarctica, we want to be a part of that. But everywhere else, like we feel like we've got at least a lead on being a part of what God's doing there. And we've got great leads here in our local community. God's allowed us to create some great partnerships in this local community to meet needs. We continue to do that in a really amazing way, and we're thankful for that. Here in Canton and Cherokee County, we also have partnerships and ministry taking place in North America through Paul McKinney out in California training ministers and discipleship makers, disciple makers that will travel to other places in the world through most the men opposing sex trafficking to really battle against this, this horrific thing that's taking place in our world. Way Church in Nashville, Tennessee, the Association of Related Churches, planting churches all over North America. In Central America through our partnership with Casa Shalom Orphanage, which we just visited last week in Guatemala. In Europe through our partnership with Michael and Amanda Ropo there in Istanbul, Turkey. In Africa, through our partnership with Coleman Bailey and Wings of Compassion, which is a house there where they are taking in girls between the ages of 11 and 14 who are giving birth to babies themselves through assault and criminal activity, and they're raising those teenage girls and their children. We're helping in partnership in Asia through our, our missions partner there, Johnny Moore, and literally around the world through our denominational connection to the Church of God, which has ministry and missions happening in 191 nations of the world as of this last week. You and I are making a difference in the lives of people. There are incredible things that are happening locally and globally, but there's also some amazing things that are happening here in the local ministries of Generations Church, and I want to hit a few of these quickly today, but when we talk about kind of the, the places, the things that we desire for you inside of our church, we want you to know God we want you to find community, we want you to discover your purpose, and we want you to make a difference. And so when we talk about knowing God, we're talking about people being saved, people taking first and next steps in their relationship with God, and then people gathering together in corporate worship experiences, whether that's here on Sunday morning in our G Kids environments or on Sunday nights in our generation youth. And so here's a few things that we can celebrate together. If you look around, if you've attended here for any length of time, you may say, hey, there's some people I don't know. I encourage you to get to know them. I've met a lot of them. They're awesome. You would like them. But if you are relatively new, today's your first, second, third, fourth, fifth time, or maybe you've come over the last few months, what you may not know is that over the last year, uh, our average attendance has increased by more than 150 people per week, all right, which is incredible, absolutely. And then at the same time that we see that, we don't just see people showing up. We see families coming, investing their lives. We've seen in the last 12 months, I'm sorry, not the last 12 months, the last nine months, because this is just since January, 244 different kids attend G-Kids. 
That's amazing, right? Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. I'm not going to stop you. You clap anytime you want to clap. And then we don't want just people to show up. We want them to make decisions to follow Jesus. We believe that's what transforms their life, not just attending a service, but seeing God do something in their heart and life that we can't do, but we want to expose them to. And this year, 165 people have said yes to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. 32 of those people have have gone public in water baptism. Our next baptism date is in November, the 19th, I believe it is, November 19th. And so we want you to to consider being baptized. If you've never been baptized, you've recently made a decision to follow Jesus Christ for the first time, or you've made what we call a recommitment, and you want to go public with that decision, we'd love for you to register and be a part of a really special day. We love Baptism Sunday. It's like a birthday party around here, and we want you to come and be baptized on November the 19th. The other thing that we want you to do is to find community. We don't believe that you should do life alone. We believe one of the tactics of the enemy is to try to isolate you and make you think that nobody knows what you're going through and nobody can know what you're going through. But we want to help you find godly Christian community to grow in relationship with God while you grow together with other people. And this year, we've got 225 people in G groups, which I'm excited about. And let me just say this. If you are not in a group, you're missing out on one of the best parts of what we have, one of the best parts of what we do. And you say, well, maybe I've tried a group before and I didn't like it. Let's try another group. We'll tell them the night of the week didn't work for you. No, we won't tell them you didn't like them. We didn't tell them you don't think they can cook. We'll just tell them, hey, that, you know, that Thursday nights are no longer good for them. We'll get you in a new group because finding community is important to us. We also want to help you discover your purpose. We believe that you were created on purpose and for a purpose. We don't believe it's by accident that you're here, not just in this church, but in this world. And that God has uniquely gifted and called you to equip you to do something that matters for eternity. And we want you to be able to accomplish those types of things. So the one, one of the ways that we do that is to try to help you walk through discovery track. The first step's on demand. The second step is in person. This month, that second step is October the 15th. And so we want you to go through discovery track. And so far, we've seen 73 people complete discovery track this year, determining their God-given talents and abilities, and then take a next step into how God could use them in a really eternal way. And then this is one of my favorite stats that I'm going to give you. Uh, pastor Carson, who's our youth pastor, he's got the, the kids up at the fall retreat this weekend. He sent to me and said that this summer when we sent our group to youth camp, In middle school camp and in high school camp, we had six of our students who accepted a call of ministry on their life, said, hey, I feel called to be a pastor, a youth pastor, a children's pastor, a missionary somewhere in the world, and I don't know what it looks like yet, but I know God is calling me to do that, and I want to chase that with all of my heart, and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that God calls people and equips people, and he releases people into ministry, and I'm thankful that our students are in environments to see that happen, and then lastly... We want to help you make a difference. We want to make a difference that matters for eternity in the lives of people around us. And there's so many different things, and we told you some of the stories last week. We told you some numbers already this week, but primarily when we're talking about making a difference, we, we, we do that through our G team. If you're a part of the G team, you serve anywhere in ministry, anywhere in our church, I want to hear you. Just yell or do something. woo something. Yeah, there's a bunch of you. That, that sounds about right because currently... There are 147 people who are actively serving on our G team, and I'm so thankful for that. But let me just say to you, like, there's still room for you. If you look around, you go, well, they don't need me. I mean, I sing, but they got singers. I play the drums, but they got drums. I I love to teach kids, but they got teachers up for kids. Like, we need you. There are more places for you, but it's not about just filling a blank spot. It's you getting in your car when you leave on a Sunday afternoon and just sitting there for a second, five seconds, 10 seconds, and taking a deep breath. 
and knowing you've made a difference in somebody's life today. You held a door, might seem inconsequential. You shook a hand, you hugged a neck. You taught a, a toddler how to color in a picture of Jonah and the whale. And it's like, I don't know that that makes a difference, but you are investing in their own personal story of faith. And sometimes we know when there's a first-time guest, because they're kind of looking around, I don't know where to go. I'm not sure where to check in. I don't know where the bathrooms are. I'm not sure, can I sit here? Somebody else is sitting here. And we don't all, you know, sometimes we know who the first-time guests are. We don't know who the last-time guests are. They're people who have walked in and they're giving God one more chance. And wouldn't you know it, they walked up to you. Or you held the door for them, or you held an umbrella over their head, and you got wet to keep them dry. And because of that act of service, they're going to give God one more chance next week. And as they continue to put themselves in those kinds of environments, we believe God is going to change their heart, change their life, heal those places of hurt, and redeem those places that are lost. We're making a difference. I'm thankful for the G team. One of the biggest things that we did this past year and really making a difference for our church, but also setting us up for long-term uh, what God is calling us to be and to do as a church is we purchased this building earlier this year. We've celebrated that. We've talked about it. Maybe you get tired of hearing us talk about it. I'm going to keep talking about it, so just put in earplugs or something. But earlier this year, we bought this building, all 36,000 square feet, including all the spaces where other renters are currently at. And as the Lord continues to grow our ministry, as we need those spaces, we'll evaluate their leases. But we're not looking to kick anybody out right now. We've got all the property that surrounds it here on this piece of land and we're so thankful that God brought us to this place in 20, really in the end of 2015, and then we built it out and opened in 2016. And we're thankful. God knew what we didn't know. And then we're thankful for the, the ability to negotiate to purchase this building. Back in 2019, we set a fixed price. Who knew what the market would do? And we set a fixed price for $3.9 million. And it's like, well, that's a lot of money. And it is a lot of money. But then when we were closing on that loan earlier this spring, it appraised for about $6.2 million. And we're so thankful for that. Well, let me just say to you again what I have said to you before. Like, I believe with all of my heart, and I'm just crazy enough to believe it, that God is going to supernaturally provide a way for us to be debt-free. And I'm not going to say as fast as humanly possible, because it's supernatural what I'm asking God to do. But I'm just going to keep talking about it, because I believe that there are people in rooms like this, and people that you know and I know, and people watching online that could write a check for $3.9 million, or they could write some checks for $50,000 or $100,000 or $500,000, and they could invest in helping our church become debt-free and free up hundreds of thousand dollars per year for us to do more ministry and make more of a difference in our local community and around the world. I just believe it. Here's what I'm crazy enough to believe, okay? I just believe God owns it all anyway. I just believe all the resources are God's resources. And I believe that there are people who trust God and believe that it's God's, that they are just stewards of what God's entrusted into their hands. And I'm going to stand on this stage at some point, I believe, in the near future and say to you, look what God has done. We don't owe a penny to anybody, and every penny that you give will be turned right back around to invest in ministry. And I can't wait to celebrate that with you. But we're going to make a difference and continue to do so through this facility that God has given to us. Because you're a generous and faithful people. And over the last 12 months, financially, you have given $1,057,610.19. Can we just put our hands together and thank God for all that he's done in and through you this past year? And we're just believing God to do greater things. Just great. I, it's, it's like probably a t-shirt. They probably sell a coffee mug at Cracker Barrel that says this. But I really do believe our best days are ahead of us. I just believe 
that God has more in store for us than the things, like our, our latter days are greater than our former days. Like there's just something, and there's a clear vision. I don't, I don't have like all the certainty about every step that we will take, but I have a great sense of clarity about where we're headed. Because I've never had a greater sense of burden for what God has called us to here. And as you, if you got your Bible, I just with the last few minutes that we have together today, I want you to go to the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. It's one of my favorites. Now, if you've attended here for any length of time, you know that I've got a lot of favorites, right? It's like having your children. Like, they're all your favorites, you know, except for Deion Sanders. I think he ranks his kids. I don't know, but like, they're all, they're all our favorites. They're all, like, when I read the Bible, like, all the books are my favorites. I love them all. I love these stories. But Nehemiah, this story here, especially the first few chapters, has a special place in my heart. When I read it, there's something that gets ignited on the inside of me, just to trust God for some things like this. And what happens is Nehemiah is working for the king, and he hears this really depressing story about the city of Jerusalem, the city of God, and the people of God that are living there that are discouraged because like the walls have come down, and there's, there's open places, and the enemy can come in and out and steal their stuff, and they're just so discouraged, and, and they're so beaten down, and nobody's got a burden to do anything about it. But when Nehemiah hears it, he immediately develops a burden to go and make a difference. And so the question before we even open God's word today is like, what are you burdened for? What are you burdened about? What are the things that just like keep you awake at night? I'm not talking about stress. I'm not talking about fear or anxiety. I'm saying like, what are those things that like you just can't get away from that God just keeps bringing back to your remembrance? Like when you close your eyes, it's the things that you see on the back of your eyelids. When you get up in the morning, it's what you're thinking about. When you work throughout the day, it's the thing that you're thinking. You just come back to it because it's a burden. Again, it's not stress or fear or anxiety. It's something that God gives to us that's on the inside of us and it compels us. It fuels us to go forward. Nehemiah had that. He had a burden to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that the people of God had a place for God. And so he goes to the king and says, hey, I'd like to go back. The king allows him to go, actually writes a letter and allows safe passage and some of the supplies that he would need. He comes to the city and he gets on a horse at night because he's afraid of who he might encounter. And he just circles around the city and he looks at the ruins. He looks at what's there and he sees with even a greater sense of detail, like, man, this is an overwhelming work. I, I, can't, I can't do this by myself. And so he calls the people together and he gives them this, this call to let's just band together. Let's do something. I can't do it. You can't do it. It's, it's sad in this state for a while. But if we'll just lock arms together, something can be accomplished that is greater than what you could do by yourself. It's greater than what I can do by myself. But if we will join forces and bring our talents and bring our abilities together, what could God do? And then in Nehemiah chapter 3, I'm not going to read all of this passage because it's 32 verses, and some of you would get up and walk out. But in Nehemiah chapter 3, verses 1 through 32, there is some, there, there's just some amazing things that you see here. You, you, you could read if you started where it just says that Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work, and they rebuilt the sheep gate. And the men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakur, son of Emery, built next to them. And the fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of, I don't know what that word is, and then there's another word, but that's the son of Uriah and the son of another guy who repaired the next section. 
And next to him was another guy, the son of another guy, the son of another guy, and he made repairs. And next to him was another guy, son of another guy, who also made repairs. And you can read it for yourself if you go through these 32 verses, that there's a lot of funny names. But every single one of those funny names recognized that if they joined together, something great could be accomplished. And you know what they did? They, they heard the burden that Nehemiah gave to them. He said, hey, I've got a burden. I've got this burning passion on the inside of me to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And, and maybe there was a lot of other questions and conversation like, well, do you think we could? I don't know if we're, a, I'm not really sure. But like as these verses just continue to scroll behind me, it's just funny name after funny name after funny name. And not a single one of those is listed as a construction worker. Not one. Maybe they had a background in it. Maybe their dad taught them how to use a drill or a hammer or a chisel. Maybe they did. But a lot of these people are listed as priests and rulers and merchants and goldsmith and perfume makers. But it didn't stop them from picking up a hammer and going to work. Because when we join together for a common purpose, there is no end to what can be accomplished with the power of God. You say, well, I don't, I don't, have, the, I don't have that skill. Like, I'm not gifted to work with kids then be on the, the team downstairs. It's like, you don't want me to sing. I, it ain't even a joyful noise, much less a good noise. Then run sound. Make other people sound better. Like just, there is a place for you on the wall. You just pick up a hammer and you just go to work. And when you look to your right and you look to your left, there is another guy or another girl, the sons and daughters, some of these verses said, and they just got to a place on the wall, most of them across from their home or next to the nearest gate near their home, and they just started rebuilding the gates and rebuilding the walls. And sons and daughters and merchants and rulers and goldsmiths and perfume makers picked up a hammer and just went to work building their part of the wall. And you say, well, okay, this is the part where you ask us to get on the team. You need to get on the team. Like, we want you to take a next step. We want you to help us to build what God has asked us to do, to make a difference, not to, not to build up a church, but to build a place where generations of families, moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, sons and daughters, Marriages that are broken, they can come and find the hope of Jesus Christ in a place like this. Just get on the wall. Don't eliminate yourself because you don't think you have the right gifts or the right talent or the right... Just pick up the hammer and trust God to do the work he's calling us to do. And everywhere that you look, there were just like people working. I want to I show you a picture here. Of, of the city of Jerusalem, a map. You see all the gates? You can do a deep dive, a deep search into all these gates and how they were utilized and how the people of God in the city of Jerusalem throughout history, even some of them still today, are in use for specific purposes. They would, they would bring some of the sacrifices in through these gates because they were the closest to the temple where the sacrifices were needed. And there were other places people could come in and come out. And some places that people couldn't come in, only those that were citizens could come in. And some places where guests could come in. And they all had a specific purpose. And there needed to be somebody to restore those gates. And so they picked up hammers and did this. And you say, well, that's, I mean, that's a pretty small picture. But if you were to 
get on a horse like Nehemiah did and you were to travel around this entire city, you would find that it is two and a half miles long. And every place on the wall was 12 feet high. And every place along the wall was eight and a half feet thick. It was a pretty overwhelming task until you read the names that are listed in Nehemiah chapter 3, verses 1 through 32, and you recognize that a bunch of goldsmiths and perfume makers and rulers and priests just decided that there is more we can do together than I can do by myself. I can't rebuild the whole thing, but I can station myself right here and make a difference right here, right here. And you say, well, that's, that's, that's great, man. It probably took them, what, a few months and a few years to kind of put it all back together, 52 days. 52 days for two and a half miles long, 12 feet high, eight and a half feet thick. And when they got about halfway through the work, the enemies of God, the enemies of the people of God, the neighbors who had had free reign to come in and out of the city, they came over and they tried to discourage the people even more. And they called for Nehemiah to come down and have a meeting with them so that they could breed more fear into him, more uncertainty into him, so that if they could breed it into him, he would be discouraged and the people would be discouraged and they would stop the work. And I love Nehemiah's response. Some of us could probably learn a lot from this. Nehemiah said, I'm too busy doing the work that God has called me to do to come down and be distracted by people who aren't on the same team with me. Some of us, we spend a ton of our time stopping the work to come down the wall to talk to every single person who's trying to distract us. We get in Facebook arguments and Facebook fights and we get into wars and conversation with people who we can love them and wish they go to heaven, but they are a distraction for you and the mission that God has called you to. Quit being distracted. Say like Nehemiah, listen, I am about my father's business. And until he tells me to stop the work I'm doing, I'm just going to keep my head to the plow. I'm just going to keep moving in the direction that God, I have a clear vision. I'm on a mission to do what God's called me to do. I cannot get distracted by stuff that doesn't matter for eternity. And if we would take that approach, I'm telling you, it'd probably change your whole day. It'd probably change your whole week if we would stop getting distracted by these temporal types of arguments. So eventually the enemy leaves and the people just keep working. But as the enemy, like we just read in John 10, goes back to reformulate a new plan and says, okay, now we gotta, we gotta come at them. And Nehemiah recognizes that when the enemy shows up, like you can't be building and fighting all at the same time. And so it's awesome to have a hammer in your hand and to be building the wall and doing the work and asking God to bless the work and just keep doing that. But he also knows that nobody is going to fight for a wall. And so what will you fight for? Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 13 through 20 says this, Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. And when our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. And from that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall, and those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other, and each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked, but the men who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. 
And then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. And whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. Nehemiah recognized nobody fights for a wall, but they'll fight for their family. So he says, listen, when you're stationed on the wall, I want you to have your weapon ready. You keep doing the work. Like, like you, just, you just keep working on the wall and you do. But as soon as you hear the trumpet sound, you get ready to fight for your sons and your daughters, your family. Nobody fights for a wall, but people will fight for their family. And here's what I love about this picture of what we just read. It, it, to me, it is the perfect picture of the church. Because what the enemy would love for you to do is isolate. We talked about that a few minutes ago with fine community. The enemy would love for you to get by yourself and think nobody understands you and nobody knows what you're going through and nobody would believe it if you even told them. But where the enemy wants to push you away from other people, God wants to bring us together in community. Why? So that while you're building, someone's got your back. Cooper, come here. Don't be scared. I'm holding a knife. I think in the first service they thought I was going to hurt somebody. This is the picture of the church. I'm building, and he's protecting. And then there comes a moment where we switch. And he's over here, and he's building, and I'm listening, and I'm watching for the enemy. And if you get by yourself, and if you remove yourself from the people of God, and you avoid community, and you avoid relationships, while you are trying to do something with great intention, who's got your back? Who's standing there defending you against the enemy? Here's what happened. When the trumpet sounds, we put down the tools and we all pick up the weapons and we trust that our God, who is great and awesome, will fight for us. The enemy would love for you to think that this is an even battle. It's two, you know, well-matched opponents coming against each other with the same strength and the same ability trying to figure out who's going to win. I've already read the end of the book. The enemy loses. So this is not a fair fight. It's it's like wrestling. It's not fake, but it's fixed. We know who the winner is, right? And so what I want you to know is if you will stay in community with other people, stay in relationship with other people, you can set the course of your life to build something that matters for eternity. You can plug yourself into something that will make a difference. And you know somebody's got your back the whole time. Don't isolate. Don't pull back. Don't try to do this thing by yourself. Because God is calling us to build something. And so we fight for our families. We don't fight for a wall. We fight for our families. It is defensive. It is offensive. It is strategic. It is intentional. And I know parents, listen, Corey and I, we've got, we got four kids. You just saw one of them walk off the stage. We've got four kids, teenage kids. We talked about it last night, Corey and I did, while we were driving down the road. It feels like the world's getting really, really fast, doesn't it? It feels like every single day we're introduced to some new evil in the world. But this is not the first time that the world's been evil. And this is not the first time things have seemed to be going from bad to worse. But remember the Lord who is great and awesome. God promises to be with us. He promises to help you. As a church, we want to come alongside of you. 
Pastor Carson and youth ministry, Pastor Madeline and our kids ministry, they're creating some parent resources to help equip you and strengthen you as it relates to social media and and your phones and technology and how to stand up in school and how to fight things that are going on in our minds and our thought life. Like we're trying to equip you and resource you, but the best thing you could do is be in church together on a regular basis and do devotions together or pray together or have faith together. You want to give your children a biblical worldview. You cannot insulate your kids from the world. I know we want to. Like I just want to pull them close and just be like, us six and no more. But that's not what we're called to do. I believe if that was God's design, that the moment you were saved, he'd take you straight to heaven. He's left us here to do something, to make a difference, to shine light into the darkness. So what do we do? We equip our kids with a biblical worldview, which means we've got to have a biblical worldview. I ran across the statistic this last week that of people who attend church regularly, only 8% believe the Bible to be 100% true. 8%. That's heartbreaking to me. And so let me just say to you, if you're trying to figure out if this is a place that you want to invest your life, I believe every single word of it to be true. We're going to teach it and preach it, all of it, cover to cover. Believe by faith that God will keep his promises. And that God desires for us to have life and life to the full. And so we invest it into our children. And Deuteronomy 6 says that when we talk about it, when we're walking down the road and we ride it on the doorposts of our home, like it's not just this thing we do at church. It's what we do every single day of our lives and we invest ourselves in it and we invest it into our children so that at some point when they leave our homes, they are equipped not just with what we've taught them, but what God says about them and how they should live and how they should engage the culture around them to be light in the darkness. We help them to put on the full armor of God, the helmet of salvation, which is that life transformation that will literally change their life and to put on the belt of truth to know what is true, to know what is right and to know what is wrong. We don't just try to help them avoid what is wrong. We help them to chase the truth and we take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And we say, you can actually go on offense. You don't have to just stay hunkered down and hope that nothing bad happens to you and try to avoid sin. It's like, no, we stand up with confidence and faith, believing that God has equipped us with every good gift we need to live a life that is founded in him with an identity that is given by him to live a victorious life. We build a wall for God and our families. That's what we chase. It's the banner we run under. We say, God, what is it you're calling us to do? What is the burden? What is the compulsion that we have on the inside of us? I'm telling you, it it is for every single family represented in this church and every single family that we're connected to that is running away from God as fast as they can or they're stuck in this place because they just don't know where to go and where to turn, that we can shine the light of Jesus' love to them and say, come here with us, we've got your back. You build something that matters for eternity, and I promise you won't be standing by yourself. We're going to lock arms, we're going to stand shoulder to shoulder, and we're going to trust God that the sum of our parts is greater than each individual part. We'll give and we'll serve and we'll love and we will pursue God with all of our hearts for God and our families because it matters. It matters. 
Don't isolate. Don't pull away. Don't think you've got to figure it out by yourself. Lean into community. Lean into relationship. Come to know God. Not just to know about him. Not just to believe he's out there somewhere. But that he desires to intimately know you. And to call you. And to give you burdens and passions in life. To find community and relationship. People you can run with. As you chase the vision that God has given to you for your life, that you could discover why you were even created and you could make a difference in the lives of people around you for an eternal purpose. Because generations matter. The generations of your family matters. The generations of your neighbor's family matters. The generations of the kids in your classroom, they matter. They matter. They matter to God, and so they matter to us. And so we chase what God has laid before us for God and our families. So man your battle stations. Take your place on the wall. And when you look to your left and you look to your right, we will be standing there, building a wall and fighting for families. It's what we're called to do. It's what we're called to be. And we will chase it with all of our hearts for God and our families. I want you to bow your head right where you're at. Nobody's looking around. If you would say to me today, Jeremy, for me, I am not in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want that to change today. I want an eternity like you've described. I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And I desire for God to do something in my heart today that only he can do, forgive my sins and to be my Lord. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right where you're at? I wanna pray for you. Thank you so much. Anybody else? Thank you so much. Anybody else? You're not alone. Anybody else? And now if you would say, Jeremy, for me, I wanna find my place on the wall and I want to lock arms with some other people and I want to fight for families, mine and other people's. I just, I want somebody's back and I want somebody to have mine. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? My hand's lifted today. We're in this together. Let's pray together. God, we thank you today for all that you're doing and all that you've done. God, if I could preach one sermon in my life, this is it. This is it. It burns deep on the inside of me, and I believe that this is the burden that you've given to me and to our church. And so, God, we thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for what you will do in the families of our church and community. And, God, I thank you now for those who have trusted you to lift their hand, to acknowledge their need for you to be the Lord and Savior of their life pray that you would forgive them, forgive their sins, and lead and guide their lives from this moment forward. And if that's you today and you lifted your hand, I encourage you, just tell him what you're asking him to do. Acknowledge, confess right now. I'm a sinner. I need you, God, to save me. We believe that he'll do that right away. And God, I pray now for every person that lifted their hands and say, I just want to find my place on the wall. Give them a burden that comes from you. Give them a passion that they can pursue. Let them get over the insecurities that they may feel that they're not equipped 
They're just a perfume maker. They're just a merchant. They're just a goldsmith. God, they are exactly who you need to do what you've called them to do. So give them a confidence that comes from you. And God, I pray that you would help us to fight for our families. To make your word a part of the natural language of our homes. Let us pray together, pray for one another, invest in things that are kingdom-minded, equip our children and our grandchildren and even ourselves with a biblical worldview that we would take on the full armor of God so that we could stand firm against the tools of the enemy. And God, let us do that together. We don't have to do this by ourselves. We can do this together. So God, as we look to our left and to our right, as we work on this wall, let us find people that have our back. And God, let us be the kind of people that has someone else's back. We'll give you all the glory and all the honor for all that you will do. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks again for listening. If today's message was an encouragement to you, we invite you to share it with your friends and family. Maybe subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It just helps us spread the word about what God's doing here at Generations Church. For more information about the church, visit us at g.church. Have a great day, and God bless.